Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein from Groblox. You're listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how you can integrate go-to-market forecasting into your weekly execution cadence, both from a CRO's perspective, but also from a go-to-market leader perspective. Enjoy. Yeah, I have a GPS story for the intro. I mean, we're already rolling, so... So, it's kind of weird to just start with the story, though. Hi, Mikkel. It's snowing outside. <laughs> Let's jump to the story. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just tell the story. So, you know, not so long ago it was summer. Remember those days? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, barely. And, yeah, barely. And I was on holiday, and we were in uh, southern France. Oh, that's right. And I don't know if I... Maybe I told this story before, but we had rented a car. And because the family... My family is now so big. We can't just... How we're five it, people. Are we like eight? We're five people. Ten, ten no, people no, no. now? Five people plus a baby stroller plus luggage plus wine. You know, it takes a lot to kind of run that operation. Mm-hmm. And then when you go and rent a car, you can't just rent a regular because then you know you get kind of a mini yeah. <laughs> or something like that. So we were like very intent on renting... You basically need just, to rent like a, an 18-wheeler oh, we like, we kind of to bus, right? No, we, and then you get the right minivan you wanted to. Yeah, we went for a, like a van. And then I was like, well, if we do van, then it's just going to be slightly small and it's yeah. perfect. If I go SUV, I've done that before. Then it's not big enough. The yeah. boot is tiny and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Went to pick it up. Cute for like two hours. Terrible, terrible. They go, sorry, we don't have the car you rented. Uh, but we have this other one. I was like, can you like show me just what it is I'm walking into here? And showed me the car. I was like, fine. Walk down to the parking lot. And I just, we can't find the car. Walk around forever. Finally find it. And then I'm like, oh no. And this is like, uh, you know, Mercedes uh, Sprinter. Massive. Like the biggest version they have. Uh, never drove such a big, long ass car. For everyone who doesn't know, this is basically like those typical American yellow school buses. Yeah. <laughs> just a bit smaller. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I was like, so... You know, one thing is having that car to drive for the first time and putting your family in. But in also southern driving France, and by then the way. in southern France, where yeah. you haven't driven before, it's yes. like, oh no, this is going to be terrible. And you know, it's a great sign when you just you can't get in the car because it's parked up against the yeah. wall <laughs> with, with you know, uh, you can't open the door. You literally can't get in. And on the other side, there's a super expensive BMW. Same story. You can't get in. So I literally had to get a guy crawl through the back. <laughs> And into the car. Was it not and your it, wife? <laughs> no, no, no. no. And this whole operation takes like several hours. And you know, the temperature is high in those parking lots. And I'm getting more and more like The this kids is, are pissed already. And I'm like, I'm going to cancel this whole shit. We're just going to do a cab. And, <laughs> and then finally, we get in the car. I'm like, okay, just calm down for a second. Plug in the GPS. And then let's go. And then I couldn't plug in the GPS. And I had to put my phone on the dashboard while driving in Nice and a son who was like a bit finicky at this point it's just terrible experience terrible experience nice so we burned through five minutes of the show (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening have a good one (laughs) so maybe you don't I mean maybe people don't know this but literally the camera just went out I had to run out get a new memory card plug it in basically into the snow outside it was snowing yeah had to pay for it myself You know, so we're just starting over completely now. It's a terrible episode. It's done. Sorry. But we, hey, we have five minutes already in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and as long as they listen to those five minutes, it counts as a it's download. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about basically a way to use go-to-market forecasting. Yeah. This is something we've talked a bit about. One of the challenges we've seen and discussed a bit recently is 
the only way companies can predict where they're going to end up is the sales forecast. This is probably the only point they have to really know where they're going to end up. And there's a couple of problems with that. Yes. I, I wouldn't even say that go-to-market forecasting is like a, a thing you do. I think it's more like a, you know, a thing you are or something like that. <laughs> Very, mm-hmm. But when you think about sales forecasting, right, it's not just you buy a sales forecasting tool and now you've done sales forecasting, right? Mm. It's kind of a tradition that you build in the organization. It's, yeah. um, it's trillion. So we looked it up, actually. BCG did an, uh, an investigation on this. It's one trillion hours spent uh, and wasted on sales forecasting every year. What? Um and uh, no, obviously not. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it's, that's the revenue leakage number. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe need to cut this out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so there's lots of time, you know, spend on those sales forecast yeah. uh, sessions, right? And it's, it's not just a methodology that you kind of pick or some kind of tool that you pick. It's also kind of the way you kind of go about this and, and the way you train and teach your reps around this, right? Yeah. It's really kind of a, um, it's a, it's a way of executing to a degree, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think when we are talking about go-to-market forecasting, it really kind of goes into the same direction. It's not a thing you do, a methodology you pick or something like this. Yeah. It's a way of thinking about running your engine mm. at the end of the day, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, what, what we've seen a lot is you have your sales forecasting, which is giving you predictability uh, while you execute, right? You have maybe financial planning that gives you predictability so to speak, you know, between execution periods. Yeah. And some people do annual planning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, almost everyone does annual yeah. planning. Let's just say it like that. And um, they give you some predictability, right? We sometimes joke and everyone is hitting Q1. It's like, yeah, exactly. Um, some people then have maybe, you know, half yearly kind of resets or rebaselining or something like this to yeah. kind of have new predictability. So, oh, we messed up the plan. Let's do it over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but but you don't have anything in between. You don't have anything that, you know, really is giving you um, a couple of quarters ahead and, you know, updating, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this kind of piece of gap of knowledge, you know, for you, I think this is where go-to-market forecasting is kind of landing, right? Yeah. And I think what we spend it to spend some time on today is not to talk about how it works and, you know, you know, you need to buy Groblox and you need to kind of <laughs> do this. It's more about, well, how do I, how do I integrate this into my day-to-day? How, yeah. you know, what do I, what do I use go-to-market forecasting for, basically? Yeah. I think this is really the rituals. And like you said, you don't need necessarily a solution. It's obviously a great help to run what we're going to go through, mm. but you can totally do this without. And probably some folks are to a degree, mm-hmm. um, but it's really about building out the ritual that puts you on the right track at the end of the day. And when you, so we were kind of grasping for a metaphor, uh, you know, <laughs> teeing, teeing this this uh, uh, session up, but think about um, think about driving a car. I mean, yeah. I'm from Germany. Yeah. It's always, cars. it's always about cars. Yeah, exactly. Um, so think about driving a car. So I would say, you know, this metaphor that's used overuses like the rear view mirror, right? Kind of you're looking into the past. I think this is very much finance has that problem largely, right? They do the accounting after the fact. Mm. You could say BI in many cases, kind of all the dashboards that you have is kind of, you know, for the past. Yeah. And then you have looking out through the windshield. And I would say that's that sales forecasting for you, right? Yeah. Kind of you see in fairly, very high resolution. Yeah. Uh, you see was going to come at you in a couple of hopefully nothing seconds <laughs> or something like that. But at the same time, it's really difficult to see, I don't know, kilometer away yeah. or to see, you know, behind the next bend or corner, for yeah. example, right? You don't have that. So what is it that you use to have a little bit more smartness around this, you know, nowadays? Mm. You have 
You know, you have a GPS. Yeah. You have like a, a little thingy either in your phone or a niece, yeah. not, you know, in the, in the dashboard. <laughs> you have something that tells you, hey, in 300 meters, you need to take exit 15. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then you need to turn left afterwards. It's like, right? so maybe switch lanes now so you're yeah. not screwed. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think this is, this is if you want to kind of cut it up, that's kind of almost how you can think about, uh, you know, your reporting, your sales forecasting, and then your go-to-market forecasting, yeah. right? And now thinking about this, so it's obviously immensely useful, right? Having a GPS in your car is like, well, you can drive without it. It's no, no question. Mm. Will you will you get to where you want to go fastest with the GPS? Probably yes, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not going to... Uh, I mean, I'm still old enough to have had like a, a map, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. book yeah. <laughs> with a map. <laughs> or stopping and asking and someone. And basically my, my parents, I think they're divorced because of that. <laughs> you know, that's basically the reason. <laughs> and then it was me sometimes, you know, trying to read this. Anyway, yeah. Um, and um, and I think today we're basically kind of talking about you know how how you can you know integrate this GPS into your, like into your rituals. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's important just to maybe level set what go to market forecasting actually is before we run into into the ritual. Um, so I mean we've we've talked about the sales forecast. It's really you know you have these opportunities. You have a closing probability and a closing date and an expected kind of contract value. And with that, you can start estimating how much revenue you get when. Mm. The thing is for for leads, let's say inbound, a regular demo request, you know how how quickly or how slow, for that matter, it, it takes for that to become an opportunity. And you know how long it takes for an opportunity to become a customer. So you have kind of the time. You also have ACVs that you can use, which is kind of you know similar to what you then do with sales forecasting. Mm -hmm. And you have all the conversion rates, right? So you can actually start forecasting on a marketing level. If you have a hiring plan for SDRs, mm -hmm. doing outbound, you know you're going to hire, let's say, five folks next quarter, the ramp time, the average production, you can start forecasting, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the other side is, yes, you can start forecasting how much local acquisition is going to come. Do you have the capacity to tackle them? Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's about. It's being able to, you know, look up at the full funnel, essentially, rather than just the sales forecast, yeah. which is, a, you know, just one part of the entire bow tie. Yeah, and basically kind of with a little bit of foresight, which no one would agree or would disagree that that's useless with a bit of foresight making some of those decisions basically in a smarter way. Yeah. So how, let's jump into this. How do we use it? How how should people build up rituals yes. to, to use the power of go-to-market forecast? So I would kind of split it into two separate parts just to kind of keep it simple for everyone listening. I think one is, um, you know, sometimes it's called the CRO meeting mm. or the commercial leadership or GTM executives yeah. or whatever, basically the GTM team. Yeah. Uh, in my case, it was myself yeah. as, you know, the boss. And then it was uh, VP marketing, VP sales, VP inside sales, VP CS, mm. and uh, VP revenue operations. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think those kind of meetings happen across organizations. I think if you're in an organization that is I just say 250 people and up, maybe sometimes earlier, but 250 people and up, you will have that kind of, you know, C-level VP structure in place yeah. for the commercial part. And, and I think in, in small organizations, you basically have the CEO or, you know, one of the co-founders being the quasi-CRO, basically, mm. kind of managing this piece specifically, right? And I would even recommend, yes, you will have an executive leadership meeting with, you know, uh, your commercial leaders and your product leaders and your finance leaders and stuff. But even early on, I would recommend having kind of a carved out session only with the commercial leadership team, by the way. Um, whether or not that's led by the CRO, by the CEO, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But, you know, carving some of that out, I think is extremely important, right? Mm. So this is number one. And then number two, well, 
then you know how how can all of that stuff trickle down and inform the different departments that are rolling into this? Meaning marketing, sales, CS, right? And that's kind of the other part of the equation that we're yeah. going to talk about today, right? So number one in the let's call it the go to market exec weekly, you basically kind of have one focus on what's going on this quarter. Are yeah. we going to hit this quarter? Yes or no, right? And um, you know, usually this is a you know VP sales conversation because you know, no one else knows really much about this, yeah. right? But what you want to do here instead in a go-to-market forecasting perspective, you want to, number one, understand uh, all my other metrics that I'm not forecasting, are they trending? Are they projected to, you know, go in the right direction, mm. right? You want to basically be, have, the, have the ability to also keep your, you know, CMO accountable for actually hitting the MQL target. Mm. Um, and it's really difficult to do that without a forecast on MQLs, kind of where you're gonna land on MQLs. Are you, are you hitting the expectations that you were kind of uh, said you would? And that kind of really uh, then accounts for all kinds of other metrics as well, yeah. right? Similar so for metrics that you might not be looking at at a, at a weekly basis, and you don't necessarily have to, you only wanna know when something's going wrong basically, mm. um, which are you know ACV, conversion rates, sales cycles, all of those delays, you don't wanna look at this daily or weekly or, you know, sometimes even monthly. But when there's something that's going off, you want to know immediately, mm. right? Kind of, it, it's one of those, it's one of those disciplined things, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and those would be things, if there's something wrong, you would want to tackle that in that session. You want to be like, hey, we're producing all the MQLs we need to. We have hired all the people we need to. We're still going to miss because you give too much fucking discounts. Yeah. Um, and you want to have that discussion there, yeah. right? Not, not in your QBR afterwards, right? And that then enables you, based on the problem that you're seeing, to have very tactical uh, discussions with the team, mm -hmm. uh, to maybe start running projects with the RevOps leader in there, to have conversations about, hey, I'm falling short on my MQLs most likely. Can we find some something somewhere else to kind of, you know, you know, switch in and help us, you know, close that gap? Yeah. Um, and what's even more important is um, you can now use that to have a conversation next week about it. Mm. That was, that's, by the way, that's, you know, you know this, Mikkel, but one of my main issues, and that's why I always, you know, overhire on on the capabilities of the RevOps leader, I'm really not well organized. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, and, um, and you know, I can be, I can be uh, maybe a tough guy in a meeting, but next meeting I'll be like, yeah, I forgot gone. about it. Yeah, the it's slate like, is clean. Yeah. <laughs> It's like there was a new shiny thing somewhere else. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I focus on this. So, you know, you want to have a way to follow up on these things, yeah. right? Um, and this is this is very tactical around this quarter. What usually simply is completely forgotten is the stuff about next quarter. Yeah. Right? It's always like, yeah, yeah, you know, future Tony's problem. Who cares? It's like marketing is talking about it, but no one really cares because, hey, look at the target this quarter. That's what we need to. Yeah. Right? We, have, we have a today's Tony problem. Yeah, exactly. Not, not you know, not <laughs> yeah, next yeah. quarter. But really what you want to be discussing here is basically kind of your, your, your inputs, your drivers, your leading indicators, so to speak, right? And yeah. those are really things that might have come out of your gap plan yeah. from the year, right? Oh, you know, the bottom up gets us to 20 million, but the CFO wants to get us to 22 million. We need to find bets mm. that can solve those 2 million. How are we tracking against those? They usually don't have an impact this quarter. They usually have an impact kind of in the future. You want to be, you know, making sure that works out. You want to make sure that... Um, 
is hiring on track? You yeah. know, are you are you are you basically kind of shooting yourself in the foot already now by like, oh, you know, we are too low on hiring and so forth, right? You want to discuss some of the pipeline developments. You want to discuss new markets. You want to discuss all of that stuff that is ultimately moving the needle for you. Mm. That you um, that you in, in today's world maybe have on a Trello sheet somewhere or scribbled on a notebook somewhere, but basically usually forgetting about, right? And you're forgetting about it. Uh, because number one, very rarely are people talking about next quarter mm. besides finance. Yeah, finance talking about next quarter all the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, or uh, because it's basically kind of unclear for you how important is that actually to talk about that problem right now? Yeah. Right? Is it is it a million dollars important? Because it sure feels like my ten thousand dollar problem that I have today <laughs> is bigger than the one million problem <laughs> I have next quarter. Right? Yeah. And if you if you don't have that if you don't have that measuring stick. Um, it's really difficult, and, and and in addition to that, I would even say, I would even say, it could be that U.S. CRO, VP of RevOps, you know, it's a million dollar problem over there, but if you have you know trouble communicating that this is a million dollars and it's more than the ten thousand problem that uh, your VP of Sales has right now, guess what? You're not going to be executing anything. You know, yeah. you need to have these guys or ladies understand that you know the 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 big Kahuna problem is over there. If you can't, you know, you will basically kind of run into inaction. They will go back to their desk and be like, okay, let me jump on the next call here to close a deal for this quarter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think these conversations, and it's, you know, it's also, that's why I'm saying it's a different way of thinking about it to a degree, right? Kind of these conversations, they're really just the starting point for a little bit of a mindset shift. Um, and if you if you achieve to have that mindset shift, I think what's going to come out of this is very, you know, it, it, it's kind of, that's that's the ultimate goal of go-to-market forecasting, to basically just be a little bit more predictable yeah. to, to the degree where you could say, I am very predictable. And, you know, with all the wonderful things coming out of this, no, no layoffs, you don't need to, uh, you know, have, you know, worries about the board meeting, you know, you can kind of very clearly say, but that point we can, you know, do the next funding round. You have confidence in your decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So that's, that's how you can run the CRO meeting. I think kind of yeah. that's a, that's a very solid way to kind of do that. Yeah. And I think we, I think we've covered it also a couple of times before with some of the stuff like they discuss, they, they already know the problems ahead of the meeting and blah, 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 blah. And I think that's the second layer, the way yeah. they know there's a problem and what the solution is, each of the members of that CRO meeting, they have their own cadence, right? Yeah. So should we hop to the second kind of the a layer down? Actually, yes. Uh, but but before we do that, so one, one really cool point that you just made there, right? It's really the, when you think about the sales forecasting meeting, it's not like people walk into the sales forecasting meeting and then get surprised what the no. sales forecast is. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they have all of them individually have gone through their own thing. They have tweaked it. They have like they have a story for this deal and the story yeah, for that yeah. deal, and that they're, they're ready. Yeah, they're ready to talk, right? And you you want to have the same thing be you know uh, in, informing the the members of the CRO team to have the same conversation. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So let's go to uh, maybe the marketing piece first. Yeah, so marketing is one of the members in there, and I kind of alluded to it. I think one of the challenges is a lot of marketing leaders, they know the quarter they're in is baked. For marketing, it's fully baked. Uh, just starting up a new campaign, it takes you know a month's work probably, right? And when you start factoring in stuff like velocity, you're probably looking at, let's say, six months, right? So the, the quarter is done. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges... If you only rely on sales forecasting as your predict, you know, your predictive model or whatever we call it, it means the problems you're going to flag is for this quarter. Mm -hmm. Probably also means that the tools you have 
are focused on this quarter. So what is a CMO going to do when he or she goes to the leadership meeting with the heads of demand, heads of events, heads of whatever? They're going to kind of focus on the problems this quarter where they really can't actually move the needle much. Yeah. They just, frankly, they can't. They can do a lot of enablement and tactical plays together with sales, but they're not going to be able to bring in a material impact on inbound volume, right? If you, if you think about it, I think what, what happens, you know, with this ultra focus on this quarter, which is, you know, I don't even want to say it's a bad thing, no, no. but there are some bad things coming out of this. Um, and I mean, you and I have this, you know, sometimes, right? It's like, hey, you know, I have a problem right now, Michael, we need to hit this quarter. And and what ultimately happens, because, you know, we know this whole methodology. Mm. I'm not saying we're the greatest executors no. of it, but we know the whole methodology. And then it, it always, you know, pulls you towards either some bottom funnel performance shit yeah. that is, you know, you know, they are not there and we've done this before. Or it's some bottom bottom funnel tactics, mm. right? Kind of can we do can we do something on the material, you know, on the closing? Can yeah, we do yeah. something like, you know, and you basically focus on you could say almost the wrong part of the funnel yeah. uh, by default because that's the only part of the funnel that has an impact this quarter. Mm. But marketing should be focusing way further up. Exactly right. And I think that's where, you know, when you realize that the quarter is fully baked and most marketing leaders know this, I think the really good ones, they've built some kind of a model in a sheet and know it, but the challenge is it's not going to really be connected to reality, yeah. right? Once the quarter starts, it's, it's done. So it's more of a... I think a mental model more so than anything. I think the challenge I've faced is when you then he head into the meeting, you are so focused on this quarter and that's fundamentally the wrong thing because you know next quarter there's going to be a conference, so that's Q2, and then Q3 deals are going to arrive from that. So you better make sure that that is being executed really well. And I think that's where you you want to be able to use basically some kind of a forecast on leads and know are they actually progressing, mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to have different leads. And that's, you know, if you listen to Refine Labs uh, and Chris Walker, he talks a lot about splitting the funnel, unblending the funnel. And it's because we've come from a time where, you know, marketing was pressured to create more leads now, now, now. And it's the normal behavior when you're at this quarter and there's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get MQLs if you have a lead scoring model. Mm -hmm. It's easy. You do an ebook, you get a ton of them, prop up the score, and then here you go, sales turned into nothing. So you want to be able to unblend it. And I think that's one level to understand, are we actually bringing in, you know, the hand racers, the hard inbounds that we need, that we know confidently are going to progress into revenue. And I think as marketing leader, you want to know two things. You want to know like, hey, are we are we projecting all of those different, you know, metrics, leads, MQLs, mm. whatever, yep. and, you know, in the different splits and cuts, are we projecting to hit that, you mm. know, by the end of the quarter, the month, the year? Yeah. But you, at the same time, you also want to know, well, are those things actually, you know, projected to result in revenue and by when, yeah. right? It's kind of, it's two forecasting pieces. One is on the metric itself to hit, yeah. but then also connecting it back to revenue because that's the ultimate conversation that you need to have. And I was like, recently I was on a sales call and um, the lady was telling me a bit of a story that she had at, at you know, one of her jobs, which was like, uh, you know, was a kind of a VP marketing role, did a big campaign you know, it worked or it didn't work. Yeah. And then basically the CRO after two or three months came and was like, okay, you know, you got to ch shut this down now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was like, no, but you know, why? You know, it's it's working. It's like, I don't see any money from this. This thing doesn't work out. Yeah. Well, guess what? Six months later, there was suddenly well, money coming out of this thing. And the funny right? thing is, especially when you then deal with finance, they will calculate probably a CAC payback. Are they going to cohort it? No, no they're no. not. So you're no. going to look really bad in, in some of the quarters when you're ramping. And it's just fact of life and you need to have that understanding. And then when you are faced with a challenge, 
you need to be able to inspect your funnel and understand where the opportunities are. And I'm not just talking about necessarily the type of leads. You're usually going to have a requirement to deliver a set value to a given market to feed the reps, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. But the thing is, when you run a lot of paid advertising, you're going to see that the cost per acquisition from those channels and markets are going to vary quite a lot. UK in Europe is way more competitive than Scandinavia because everyone from US who wants to enter EMEA, they go through that. And so if there's a challenge, if you actually start, you know, inspecting your funnel a bit more, it enables you to find some of the solution. This might not be the perfect solution that you go and say, hey, we can cut down spend in UK and then net net actually end up on target by just transferring that budget to mm-hmm. Scandinavia. It might not be a great conversation to have because it's going to suck for the UK team, yeah. but it might be great for the business. And I yeah. think that's where, again, if you build in this ritual of actually having a forecasting methodology for marketing, it also enables you to actually analyze what changes you need to yeah. make. And I think that's that's the power. I think we could talk tons more about the hours and piece I here. can talk hours about it. So. Yeah, one of those topics. <laughs> but let's move on to uh, on the sales side, right? So, and I think this is um, when I sometimes talk about it's like, well, but we have a sales forecast, so why do we need to yeah. go to market forecast as well? And I think I think that's a fair it's a fair statement. What I would say though is um, there are really two things where where I think augmenting your sales forecast with the kind of you know in a context of a wider piece can be really important, right? So number one, in your current quarter, you know, you're in, in current quarter and um, you uh, are only two weeks in, maybe one week in, three weeks in, doesn't matter. If you look at your current sales forecast, it will not actually tell you whether or, whether or not you're going to hit target. It will shoot somewhere far below the target that you want to shoot at. And you know that's okay. Because there will, you know, more deals will be coming and, you know, those deals that you have in pipeline will develop and some of them will close. And eventually you kind of, you know, you will get there, right? The point is, though, the sales forecast here doesn't actually tell you anything about the end of the quarter. Mm. It's just not true, right? And this is really, if you go back to the method, uh, the um, metaphor here, it's, yes, you can see the end of the road, but you can't see the next twist and turn, right? Mm. And your quarter is too long in most cases, to actually have a sales forecast that covers that whole thing, right? Yeah. And I think that goes up to teams with a you know a sales cycle of uh, four to five months, I would say. You know, once you go into six months, I think it's you know you enter a quarter and you kind of can see it clearly. Yeah. Uh, but below that, you have this variability in there, right? So having you know at the outset, uh, having a good understanding of where you're probably going to end, um, I think that's extremely important and uh, and and useful. Obviously, once you get to the end of the quarter, you know, the GPS will not tell you that there's someone crossing the street. No. You, you know, you need to see that, you need to, you need to navigate around that. So the GPS at that point will be, you know, less, uh, less insightful than, than looking through the windshield, right? And I think that makes total sense. Um, and I think then the other piece is really, well, what about next quarter? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and for me, it was always like, Tony, you give a shit about next quarter, right? Yeah. When I talked with my reps, like, hey, you know, but how's next quarter's pipeline looking? Yeah. And um, and they were kind of, you know, brushing this away. And, and they were brushing it away because they just simply didn't know. Yeah. You know, it's not only that they didn't care that much, which I understand. VP sales, different though. Yeah. But the problem is they couldn't know yeah. uh, because they just don't know which deals I'm going to have. And therefore, they can't tell me with, with that methodology of looking at the deal and projecting where they're going to land, they maybe have, you know, each two or three deals that they know like, ah, they're probably going to push into next quarter. Mm. And that's going to become next quarter sales forecast. But everyone knows that's like 
that's actually not the number that you're going to hit, right? Um, so having the ability to kind of actually understand what's going to happen next quarter and that being fully integrated with this other silo next to you, which is marketing, mm. and understand, you know, how's, how's, how's next quarter, you know, going to look like with what, you know, Mikkel is screwing up on the marketing side or what, you know, HR and talent distraction is screwing up on the hiring side. That is extremely valuable right there, right? Yeah. Um, and that might kind of change some of your hiring decisions. It might change some of, you know, the the gap plans and the, you know, cost corrections or whatever you want to call it, uh, tactically, that you still might have time five months prior yeah. versus two weeks prior. Yeah. Right? Um, I think a key point here is also that, you know, fixing next quarter is not Greg's job, the AE. Yeah. He he has very little control over that. And he wants to commission check for this quarter. That's yeah. what he's focused on. And he should be. He actually should be, right? It's the leader of sales. If he or she is managing outbound SDRs, that has a job to do to make sure that the hiring plan is on track, like you said, yeah. that we're, you know, actually delivering on the average production on SDR has, mm -hmm. marketing, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not the AEs, which is which is even more funny. Yes. And so this is this is I think where you know we're not advocating to you know kill sales forecasting. I no. just said you know the other day I had a call with uh, the Epster CEO, great guy. He's called Guy, by the way. Mm. Um, great, great guy, comma, guy. guy. Um, yeah. And uh, um, I, you know everyone should buy Epster or Clary or you know Gong forecasting or whatever is out there. I think it's extremely valuable, mm. um, but I think a go-to-market forecast, you know, enshrines that um, that sales forecast really nicely and gives some additional insights that are uh, that going to help you be more predictable. Right? Yeah. Kind of the the other piece around coaching and the the minute details, you should you should be using some kind of different software for that. Moving to the forgotten child, yes, customer success. Mm. Uh, I was recently kind of doing a, a revenue letter. Um, Substack revenue letter if you if you want to uh, join that um, and I was talking about you know go to market forecasting and, and customer success and I was comparing it to you know a house project so kind of we're currently building out the attic at home mm. my wife is managing all of that I wouldn't you know I have two <laughs> in Germany you say we have two left thumbs or something yeah, like yeah. this and um, well you have to anyway yeah not left okay good go <laughs> you got it you got Jesus. it uh, so the thing is, right, when you do this attic work, right, someone needs to put in the, the new windows, mm. someone needs to do the flooring, then we have like, you know, the, the the plumber for the bathroom and then, and what is the job that's done in the very end? Mm. It's the painter. Yeah. The painter comes in at the very end, right? And basically what happens in all of those, and I talked to a couple of painters about this because I think it's kind of funny, but what happens basically in all of those building projects, not just our shitty small attic, but like a real building building, um, is that the painters, basically, they come in last. Mm. But uh, the overall project has a very clear deadline and, like, massive fines connected mostly to it if you kind of blow through the deadline. Yeah. So what happens is, like, all the other guys, the carpenter, the window guy, the, the bathroom guy, the I don't know what guy and lady, they all go over just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> and it compounds. Who, who gets squeezed? <laughs> it's the painter. Yeah. And I think it's the same with CS actually sometimes, right? Kind of they're sitting on the long end of like outputs being produced for marketing and yeah. sales and so forth. And then they sit there. And I think kind of go-to-market forecasting for them, number one, is like, well, now we can see up the funnel. Yeah. It's the opposite problem that marketing has. Marketing want to see down the funnel. They yeah. want to they see up the funnel. Um. So they know, okay, by the end of next quarter, we will have so many more customers in those regions and I need to staff against that. Yeah. And guess what? 
oh, it's not according to the financial plan that you set out. Yeah, Surprise. Exactly. It's yeah, different. It um, and, um, and then the question really is like, uh, it's also kind of the support folks you need and the different mm. languages, so especially Europe, right? Um, in different time zones and so forth. And that just enables them to forecast in a smarter way, right? Yeah. To do the staffing in a smarter way, not to have too high or too little kind of support. And I think then the other thing is also, as their new, you know, if, if you depart from this, hey, last year's gross retention rate is going to be this year's gross retention rate. And we're just going to do it across the board and, you know, if, if if you stop doing that and go to a, something that's more granular, that's more on the cohort level, yeah. like, oh, this is a deal was outbound uh, in the mid-market in, I don't know, Europe, and, and that cohort has a very specific way of, of churning and upselling, um, then you basically automatically account for uh, changes in the funnel that you might not be aware of. Yeah. Um, either staffing somewhere differently or marketing does a campaign or whatever, all of these things suddenly get, you know, included in this piece. And it basically kind of helps you to figure out, well, you know, how is my GR going to change yeah. with those top funnel changes happening? And we had like one, and I think we mentioned this the other on the, another show, we had one example where one team was like cranking up the outbound a lot. And guess what? You know, as as we put into the model kind of outbound going up, their, their gross retention rate started dropping. And the yeah. customer was like, the model is wrong, yeah. you know, this can't work out, you know, you guys suck. And then we kind of, you know, looking into this with them, it's like, well, it's because your your outbound, uh, your outbound cohorts, they comparatively to the other stuff that you have in the customer base, they perform differently. They yeah. perform worse, actually. And that is overall pulling down your gross retention rate, mm. right? And for them to know this at that point, instead yeah. of a year from then, when it would basically hit them, extremely valuable. And this is something that he or she like the leader in that department can bring up in the leadership meeting, yes. right? And preempt. So I think we talked with uh, the godfather of CS who said CS should have the power to say, no, you're not going to close that deal mm -hmm. because it's going to impact our net uh, net dollar retention or whatever, yeah. right? Here you actually have the foresight so you can help make the necessary changes and make, it makes the business way more efficient. Yeah. And I think finance is going to love you for doing that. Probably, yes. And I think, again, right, we talked about the different departmental pieces here. Mm. Um, and I think what's really powerful is you have, like, one connected hole, so no no silos, anything, one connected hole that's kind of the whole go-to-market, but then you have very specific siloed views into this thing. Yeah. And the, and the conversations you now can have as you kind of roll up and down in this kind of tradition that or ritual that you're building... Um, you'll be talking the same language. Yeah. You'll be talking about different problems, but you will be able to translate those problems into the language of the the one that's being affected, mm. right? And and honestly, this is the good or the bad thing about SaaS. Everyone is affected back and forth all the time, yeah. right? Kind of having a way in the same language in order to tackle that, I think is extremely powerful. That's it. That's it. So do you have kind of a forecast for how many reviews we'll have planned every year? Um, what did it say? The predictive model. More, that's a, right? That's Way a, more. That's a that's a really good question. Trend I don't, is going I don't know up. how we are, how, how many thousands we have right now. I don't know. I think there's a few listeners out there who probably could, you know, just open up the phone, drop a review, yeah. five, six, seven hundred words. Easiest. Yeah. Um, you don't need to write five hundred words. Is a lot of stuff to write on a phone. 
I think you could say just get ChatGPT. I could. It. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> but the other thing is, you could just say, you know, the hosts have a good chemistry. Heard this a lot. By the <laughs> yeah, way. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, screw the content. It's about we the, were you know. referred to as the old married couple by now. You know oh, really? That. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing now. That's uh, it. So thank you so much. Thank Tony. you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Mikko. Thanks everyone else. Bye bye. bye.